Well, over the, uh, the past 20 years, our communication styles and techniques have changed quite a bit, have they not? Rumor has it, uh, back in the day, there was this thing called a rotary phone. I don't know, they, they said like you actually had to, like, you didn't even have buttons no, nor a screen, but something like rotated and went back and it took like minutes just to call someone. I never used one before, but I hear that's a thing. And then rotary phones became landlines, but crazy thing about landlines, if you didn't know that, if someone were to leave you a message, you had to actually have a separate device? Like, is this actually a thing? Like, there was a secondary device with this thing called a cassette tape, and you had to record it and listen back, and then, like, it just wasn't there waiting for you. Well, then landlines got developed, and then we had mobile phones, and then that's kind of the generation I I grew up in, got my first cell phone as an eighth grader, and uh, I had one of those phones where, like, when it was, like, the goal of cell phones was to make them as small as possible, and uh, so you could, like, play Snake, and that was it, but that was back in the day where text messages cost 10 cents a piece. And first time I had a phone, my mom was like, hey, ten cent, uh, text message that costs about 10 cents a piece, so just be careful. So I wrapped up a $300 text message bill that first month. And so my mom was like, yeah, we're going to have to change something here. Well, now interesting is like text messaging and there's other forms of communication that we all like to use. So just show of hands real quickly. This is a judgment-free zone. How many of you guys would prefer to send or receive a text message than a phone call? Text message over, right? There's quite a few of us. It's faster. It's more efficient. But text messaging has even evolved that it's not even just texting anymore with words and, and letters. There's these things called emojis or GIFs or GIFs if you like peanut butter. Um, and then there, there's a development, uh, probably, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, these things called memes. And memes are these pictures that you can put words over it. And uh, I have friends where our entire conversation is just purely memes back and forth. Maybe you have a friend like that as well. Uh, I Googled, what are the two most popular memes of all time? And according to Google, so we know it's a trustworthy source, this is what they said. That the first, the most, the most popular meme of all time is this meme. Right here. It's called the Wonka, condescending Wonka meme, right? This is one of the funniest ones I've had. Oh, a North Face jacket. You must go on so many adventures. No offense to you if you're wearing a North Face one jacket this morning. You've never been to Alaska, anything like that. They say number two is this one. It's called the success kid. Uh, Love this kid. Uh, So this baby is actually 14 years old now. Like, just imagine being that kid, being famous, and people being like, you want to know how I'm famous? Yeah, you've used my face in a meme before. Uh, over the last couple of years, uh, this next meme, uh, I've just found so much joy out of it. And I just want to say, this isn't a political statement. I just think this is funny. It's called Trump signs an executive order, but, you know, Cat showing off his Pokemon cards. You get the picture. Uh, we actually have a staff member, Aaron Fenlon, our champion location uh, pastor. Her husband sends me Jesus memes, and this one has just etched itself into my brain. for <laughs> Jesus after lifting my sins. Uh, and then there's one that says Jesus is the way, like W-H-E-I, and he's just like super yoked out and whatnot. We send memes for a variety of reasons, do we not? Maybe to say something funny, maybe make a point, say something we wouldn't actually dare tape, type out, but you know, I'll let the meme talk for itself. Or maybe to give some encouragement. And this meme here, this next one I want to show you, kind of has lived rent-free in my mind ever since I saw it. It's a powerful, I guess it's not technically a meme, it's maybe a a, a political cartoon or something like that, as you would call it. But this idea that, man, you are so, so close. That message is simple, is it not? It's powerful. Don't give up. Just go a little bit longer. Keep moving forward. You never know what might be there. 
And if you would let me, this is the image that I want us to all start with this morning, to root our hearts and minds for today's message. This idea, this tension of what does it look like to not give up? And I'm not talking about maybe necessarily on a business idea. I'm not maybe not necessarily talking about in a relationship. But what does it look like to not give up in our faith? And why should we keep on keeping on when it comes to following Jesus? If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 3 this morning. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. The Bible is one book. actually has 66 different books split into two parts. An Old Testament, which precedes Jesus. A New Testament, which introduces us to Jesus. And then life after Jesus in the early church. Revelation is the last book. And, and here in chapters 2 and 3, it's this series we've been studying called The Seven. Because Jesus is writing seven letters to seven churches. And so he delivers his message, almost these reviews, almost like a Yelp or a Google review of these churches. And Jesus says to these churches through the apostle John, through a vision he receives from the Holy Spirit, hey, here's what I need you to know. Here's where you're on track. Here's where you're crushing it. Here's where we need you to adjust. And sometimes the churches receive thumbs up. Sometimes they receive thumbs down. Most of the churches are receiving a combination of both. And Jesus is giving us this idea, though, because you need to know, he's telling these churches in ancient Asia Minor, your worship is under attack. And some of you, you are diverting off course. You're chasing after perhaps a different form of faith. And he says to some of you, you've distorted God. You've distorted me into an idol or to an image of what you want me to be like that I'm not actually like. And Jesus has said to others, some of you, you've just neglected me altogether. And what we've been saying of all these, these letters is what was true of those churches back then, some 2,000 years ago. If we pay attention, if we read, if we hear the words, then it could very well be true of us today. And today we're going to look at the church in the ancient city of Philadelphia. Now, not West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground where I've been playing most of my days. Not that type of Philadelphia. The ancient city of Philadelphia. It was the youngest of the seven churches. They were set aside to be what was called a missionary city. Basically, this is what happened. Greek, uh, the, the, the Greek culture said, we are going to pick a new city, and you are going to be the young, vibrant place, and you are going to be the trendsetters from the rest of us. You're going to be the progressive city. You're going to be the place that has all of the new things. You are going to be the spot where we spread our language, our beliefs, our culture, our pagan gods. You are going to be the pillar of society to come. We want you, city of Philadelphia, to model the examples we want the rest of the world to follow. And something interesting happened back then is the Christians in that church felt a little bit out of place. The Christians in that city were actually kicked out of their church. The synagogue will eventually kick them out and close the door in their face and you don't belong here. You don't think like us. You don't act like us. You don't look like us. And this is how Jesus responds to those Christians dealing with that time. Revelation chapter 3, picking up in verse 7. Says this is to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These are the words of him who is holy and true. Every letter begins and gives us an attribute of Jesus. And here we're seeing that what Jesus says, who Jesus is, what Jesus does is holy and true. He says, Who holds the key of David? What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength. Everyone say little strength. Good. 
little strength, yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. I will make those who are in the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, BT dubs, he says, I will make them come and fall down at your feet. Acknowledge that I have loved you since you have kept my command to endure patiently. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Jesus begins here and he says, hey, these words, they're they're holy and true. They are good, they are pure, they are perfect, they are not lacking anything. It harkens back to our memory verse for this series, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. If you didn't grab one of those cards, you still can today. They say, blessed is the one who hears the words of this prophecy. Blessed is the one who reads them aloud, hears them, and puts them into practice. You see, what Jesus says here, it's not like these are recommendations. Jesus isn't talking about, well, on occasion, what I say happens to be I... It's not why Jesus happens to say on occasion lines up. He say, no, it is good, it is holy, it is true. These are absolutes attached, and it's attached to this discourse about a key and a door, open, shut. I just got to know, anyone here, your kids like to run into doors that are closed for fun? Because mine do. Like, I kid you not, my kids are in this phase where right now we'll be sitting like at the kitchen table or we'll be sitting in our bedroom and we'll just hear this, ha, boom, ha, boom. And so I do what every good dad should do is I brace the backside of the door so they don't break anything because I don't want any more DIY projects. And our kids, they for no reason, like we thought maybe they were slamming the door on one another. We don't want to get fingies caught or whatever. No, they are literally just finding joy running into a closed door for no apparent reason. And so I tell them, I said, you need to stop acting like your grandfather. This is just, you, you know, you just can't do this type of thing here. Jesus isn't necessarily closing doors in anyone's face, he says. In fact, he says the exact opposite. He says, I have opened a door, one door, the door of eternal life for you, hoping that all will walk through it. But he says this because I have the key of David. Now, this is a reference to the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 22, in which the key of David is something that someone belonged to open the temple. You see, he's not talking about like a key that we would use to unlock our back door or our car. It's a key was like this big wrench because this is what would happen in the old temple that that represented the presence of God, fellowship with God. In order to close its doors, they would slide these big old pillars across. And in order to open it, you needed a key or a wrench. You needed to lift it off to help you open the doors to welcome people in. And so what Jesus is saying is there requires a strength to open up the doors to the kingdom of God, to have fellowship with me. These other people have tried to shut this door. Your other Christians, these fake Jews, the society, the culture you live in has tried to close the door of salvation for you, but I have opened it. But the key is, is Jesus is telling us that he can open the door for us, but we must be obedient to walk through it. But he says, no one can shut what I have opened. Jesus has opened it. Others have attempted to shut it. It's the implication of the Jews, these fake Jews, these liars, Jesus says. You're not like us. You follow a different God. So you don't belong here. You can't come in. 
See, the closed doors for the Christians in Philadelphia would have felt like various faces of evil. They've been kicked out of their temple. Their city is being evangelized for paganism far beyond their wildest dreams or imagination. Yet Jesus says, no one is strong enough to open the door of salvation. And there's a bold implication here that I need us all to get. Which means no one is strong enough to close it. This is why this is important. Sometimes Christians or churches or even culture does a really, really poor job telling us, well, do you really think God loves you? Do you really think God could forgive you? See, we're quick to believe that Jesus opens up the invitation, but then we start to believe the lie and the deception that we have the strength then to close the doors ourselves. You might be saying, well, Eric, I understand why Jesus would want to save you. Eric, you're you're a pastor. I understand why why Jesus would open up the door of salvation for you, but you you don't know my story. First and foremost, I'd say, yeah, you don't know all of my stuff too. Well, Eric, I got stuff. I got stuff in my past I'm not proud of. I get people who have maybe lived a better life and why the door of salvation would be open to them. But not me, man. You don't know what I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've gone through. In order to, you know, if I don't kind of keep on the keeping on, then all of a sudden Jesus is going to kick me out. And here's the thing what Jesus says is I have opened it for you. Meaning you don't have the strength to open it. Therefore, you don't have the strength to close it either. You do not have the ability to outsin the grace of God. You don't have the ability to live a life so detached from God that God said, well, my love was for everyone, but not for Steve over here. Sorry if your name's Steve. That's it's not intentional. You don't have the ability to live a life so much that God says, you know what? I'm going to reconsider if I love you or not. But that's what's happening to these Christians. They are being told because of the way you live, which happens just to be different than culture, that there's no way God could ever love you, save you, forgive you, or welcome you into this kingdom. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I have opened that door and no one can close it. That no matter how many closed doors you face, Jesus has opened the door of his kingdom for you. No matter how many closed doors you think you have faced and hit in life, whether you have run into them yourself or you have closed them yourself, Jesus says, I have opened the door of salvation for you. Now, it's a small door. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the road that leads to the kingdom of God. I am the narrow way, the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But this is what is holy and true about the message of Jesus in this letter. I have opened my kingdom for all people. Based on my strength, I have lived a perfect life. I died on the cross. I rose from the grave as a result of my love. Never let anyone tell you otherwise. Never let anyone tell you that they have closed the door to fellowship with God. Do not believe the deception that Jesus could potentially reject you or his offer for free life eternally with him by the gift of Jesus' grace is ever off the table. But it begs the question, though, So how do we walk through this door? Jesus says something interesting. I had you all repeat it for this reason. He says, you who have little strength. But Jesus never came down on them for having little strength. Jesus never said, if I only wish you were stronger, he acknowledges that you are weak because I am strong. You see, God is looking for faithfulness, not looking for success 
or strength based on ourselves. And the church in Philadelphia is commended for their little strength. Now, I don't know if you've ever bought something on an infomercial before. I never have, you know, um, mainly because I don't really see infomercials a whole lot. Um, but I was kind of like, kind of interested, like, man, do people even buy stuff on infomercials? I get Amazon buying things online. Uh, but QVC, the Home Shopping Network, it's one and the same now, made over $11.3 billion this past year. So it's still a thing. You know, the, the ShamWow, Flex Seal, um, uh, OxyClean, which is all the same guy. I think they just color his beard differently every time. Act fast now, and if you do, I'm going to throw in all these extras for you. Call now, call now, call now, type of thing. But the one infomercial thing that's always got my attention is the ab stimulator. You know the thing you wrap around you and it's got the electric impulses and it's like, yo, don't you just wish you want to sit on your couch, eat some uh, queso ruffles, watch some March Madness and let this thing just on your tum-tum and then boom, you're ripped. I'm like, yeah, I want that. If that's all that it takes, sign me up. Take all of my money. If that's what it takes to be ripped and to look strong, then boom, I am all for it. We all want more strength of something in this life. Let's not kid ourselves. Now, maybe you want more muscles or not. Maybe strength to you is a little bit different. Maybe it's, it's, it's your appearance or looks. Maybe you find strength in, in that bank account, in the influence you have. Maybe you want a different title or position at that corporation. Maybe you wish your kids were a little bit better or they got better grades. Maybe you wish you had a little bit more square footage or that extra set-aside cash to take a vacation. Maybe you wish you were just a little bit smarter. But in the spiritual sense is when your strength is your strength, your strength is no longer strength. I'm going to say that again because that's kind of confusing, but listen to this. That in a spiritual sense in following Jesus, when your strength is your strength, your strength is no longer your strength. Jesus says, Church of Philadelphia, I commend you. I'm with you. I'm for you because you have little strength. That's a good thing. You see, strength is not the problem, but looking for it in the wrong places is. What Jesus is getting at here is saying, it's not wrong to have a house. It's not wrong to have a good job. It's not wrong to buy an ab stimulator and walk around like you, you're one of the soldiers in Sparta, right? He's not saying that that's a problem. But what he is saying is you need to understand whose strength really matters in the kingdom of God. And he says, little weak old young Philadelphia, you understood this. You have little strength, but you have kept my word. See, all throughout the Bible, all throughout Scripture, it speaks highly of those who are weak. We go back to the Old Testament story after story. God comes to this man named Moses. He said, my people, the people of God, the Israelite nation, they are under oppression in Egypt. You are going to be my chosen leader. You are going to deliver them out of this land. And he, Moses says, cool, 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 yeah, 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 but, but I, can't, I don't speak right. I don't speak well. He said, don't worry about that. I got you covered. You could turn to the story of Ruth. Here's a woman who was widowed, seemingly cast aside by society, who becomes a beacon and a picture of gospel inclusion. You could turn to Queen Esther, someone who lived in literally a godless society who was a foreigner, and yet she becomes a center pillar of hope for all the people of Israel. Story after story after story, the Bible is high on those who are weak. 
Now, the point isn't to necessarily pursue mediocrity. The point isn't necessarily to become worse or to become lesser. By we, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. Now, we're not Buddhists chasing after nirvana. At the same thing, too, Jesus isn't saying, well, you guys are actually pretty good looking. As I look across the congregation of First Christian Church Champaign, man, if you guys were just a little bit uglier, maybe a little bit dumber, just, I mean, if we could just cut all of your incomes in half, then, man, I could really do something with you guys. Jesus isn't saying that. But what he is saying is, whose strength are you relying on? Mine or yours? The Bible paints a picture that God prefers weakness to strength. And that's beautiful to me because that's not only realistic, that's not only humane, but in those stories and situations, it's God and God alone who gets the glory. That's why the Apostle Paul, he gives us these words real quickly in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus then turns to this example in this society. He says, those fake Jews, those false Jews, that synagogue of Satan. Let me ask you, what's easier in life? To pretend to be someone you're not? to fake it, to put on a mask, a facade, or to do the hard work to endure the prize at the other side. You know, men, I speak to you just for here for the next like 10 seconds. One of the worst things that we could ever do in this life is to pretend like we could handle childbearing. Okay, let's just be honest for a second. I don't think any of us could actually get through it. And so much so, you might have seen one of these on YouTube. They hook up men to these stimulators to give them a sense of what it would feel like. And here's a short clip of one of these that I found. Oh, ah, ah, breathe, ah. breathe. Ooh. Ah. Sometimes Ooh. they're, sometimes they're a, little, a little more slow and sustained. Then you may feel one region just kind of like. Breathe. Dr. Trump, you can't do it randomly like that. Not at Universal Studios, right? Best part of this video is when the guys wanted to tap tap out, their their word to quit was epidural. And so it's just like yell epidural when you want us to be done. I just thought it was amazing. We can't pretend to have strength that we do not have. But what led the church in Philadelphia to their victorious crown was their ability that, that Jesus says, you have endured patiently. You have fought the good fight, you have finished the race, you have pursued the prize. You're not after quick results or a fast turnaround. Because if you're anything like me, you know that faith isn't always something that's just up and to the right. 
that faith can very much so seem like it's two steps forward, one step back, a step forward, three steps back, a couple more forward. I'm going to take a pause for a moment. I'm tired, so I'm going to rest. Like faith isn't just this thing that you just get instilled with this ability to completely never slow down or never stop. But that's why Jesus says you've endured patiently. And I think that's a big reason. A lot of people, they, they have reasons that they step away from faith or, or, or following after Jesus. I think that's one of the big ones. It's a failure to understand that being a Christian means we need to endure patiently sometimes. That we want a microwave Christianity. We want to send up a prayer in a moment and God answers and he swoops in like, like Superman or Spider-Man or Iron Man or Hulk or Thor. or You fill in the blank with your favorite superhero and saves the day. But being a follower of Jesus, we have to endure patiently. But Jesus gives us great hope when he says, but the key is not to rely on your strength, rather mine. You see, recognizing our weakness trains us to find true strength in Jesus. How do I find the strength to endure? How do I find the strength to continue to be loving? How do I find the strength to forgive those I don't want to forgive? How do I find the strength to, 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 to be generous when I don't really want to? How do I find the strength? And Jesus says, don't rely on your strength, rely on mine. You see, we are not made strong in Christ until we embrace we are weak. But you need to know that following Jesus will be tiring. It'll be tiring. Lots of steps, one after another. This idea of sanctification is never achieved. We're all really good at thinking we're stronger than we are. Handling more than we actually can. And I think that's the beauty. One of the things I love about the Christian faith is to say, no, 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 you don't have to pretend to be someone you're not. You don't have to give off this facade that you can handle things you can't. You just lay it before the feet of Jesus is good. That's exactly what I need from you so that I can be your strength. Jesus wraps up his letter to the church in Philadelphia saying these words. He says, so I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write them on my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The big theme of this letter here is this idea of waiting on God. It's part of how we walk with God. Waiting on God means we trust his plans, not our own. Waiting on God means we follow his open doors, not the ones we try to bust through. It means we rely on his strength, not our strength. When we move, when he moves, when, how, and on his terms. And here are these Christians. They're persecuted in their city. They've been kicked out of their church. Their whole culture is going in the opposite direction. They can't go out to eat. They can't take a walk. They can't go to the park without feeling like a fish out of water. And Jesus says, in the midst of all of that, you have continued to rely on my strength. Keep up the good work. You are enduring patiently. Now, I can't help but think that there has to be moments in which they're crying out to God. God, this isn't fun. Where are you at? Yeah, I know there's like this whole string of things against us. We're not asking you to come in and solve all of them, but can't you just like handle one of them for us? 
Like, here's my list, God. It'd be great. Like, I'm not asking you to solve all 10 of these issues, but if you could just come through in one of them, that would be awesome. I would just really, 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 really appreciate it. And God says, on my time, on my strength, in my will, not your own. Waiting on God weighs our trust in God. Waiting on God weighs how much do we actually trust that he is true, that he is holy, that he is good, that his plan and his will is perfect. The Israelite people, they were plopped into the desert in the promised land. You're going to have a land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to be the people in which all people come from. But for 40 years, you're going to have to walk around. You're going to eat a few birds I dropped from heaven and some saltine crackers. God says, waiting on me weighs how much you actually trust me. Ever been there before? Ever felt like you're just waiting on God for something? Waiting on maybe perhaps that grace to forgive that person you don't want to forgive? Waiting for that temptation to be removed that you've tirelessly tried to surrender? Waiting for that diagnosis to maybe revert course. Waiting for that child to return to the faith. Waiting for those tensions to be resolved that you've tirelessly prayed about. Waiting for those tides to shift in the course of that business. Waiting, 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 waiting. And a lot of us, dare I say, all of us, we don't like to wait. We like things now. I want it in the moment. But God says, wait. Because while you wait... When you realize you are weak, if you come to me, burdened, looking for peace, looking for comfort, I will be your strength. But when we're waiting, I think that's when a lot of the lies and the deceptions come in. Has God forgotten me? I don't know. Maybe if I didn't do that in the past, God would have answered by now. Does being obedient actually make it worth it? Why didn't God do something? Where is he? feels like he's failed me. And that's where a tough reality, the ability to endure patiently, to receive the crown of life, to be a pillar of the faith, is we have to realize that sometimes the consequences of being faithful to Christ make it difficult to be faithful to Christ. That if we're going to overcome, we must not let today impact tomorrow. We must let tomorrow impact today. That following God while waiting on God is one of the most faith-filled things that we could ever do. But Jesus offers one simple, powerful reminder. If you keep on, if you don't give up, if I am your strength, you will be a pillar in my kingdom. Here's why. We can keep on because Jesus hasn't failed us yet. You can keep on because Jesus hasn't failed you yet. You can put another foot forward. Jesus hasn't failed you yet. There are definitely times where it feels like he has. There are definitely seasons where he feels absent. There's probably prayer requests that have been left on read in the family and the kingdom of God. But Jesus has yet to fail you yet. But when we realize we are weak and he is strong, God says, you're exactly where I want you to be. You're exactly where I need you to be. 
you're exactly seeing the bigger picture that you cannot do it. You don't have that type of strength. You don't have that type of ability. You don't have that type of smarts. You don't have that type of good looks. So you're exactly where I want you to be. Recognize your weakness so that I get to be your strength. That's how God's glorified in this life. Not because of anything we can point to or we can show for it. He wants to do something big. He wants to do something powerful. He wants to do something life-changing through you, disciple, through you, Christian. But he also wants to do something even bigger and better through us as a church and as a community of faith. But it needs to be, but God, look at what you have done. It should never be, God, look at what you have accomplished. Not, well, here's what Eric has done. Well, all of this is great, but if it wasn't for Eric, then none of this would have happened. No, no, no. That is like the last thing we want as a church. That's like the last thing for any pastor, for any staff member, for any elder to be the beacon, the pillar in which this church stands for. Our community of faith will always be the community of faith that says the only thing we have to offer Jesus is nothing. is a weakness, but we get to bow before him with the strength and the power of his spirit so that when God does magnificent things in your life, when God does incredible things in your group, when God moves powerfully through you in that relationship, when God just sees dozens upon hundreds, of who knows what he will do through the life of this church, it will be in a way that we've said, yeah, we haven't done a thing. We, 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 I don't know what he's thinking because we're like sheep. We're dumb, we're stupid. All we want to do is eat grass. That's it. Sorry, we're in Illinois. You know what I'm saying. Only in our weakness and offering that to God does God say, great, I will be your strength. I will be your power. I will be your source. I will be glorified in your life and through your life. Receive that reminder, which is holy and true. Don't give up. Keep on going. No one can close the door of salvation to you. You don't have the strength to close the door of salvation for yourself. Only Jesus does. And he has offered one simple truth. I have opened it for anyone who walks through that door. Don't give up. Keep on. Let your strength be found in me and me alone. It's the God we worship today. It's the Jesus that we celebrate this morning. So I'm going to invite you to stand with us this morning as we continue to sing and worship. It's okay to be weak. It's okay to be tired. It's okay to say, I don't know how I'm going to get through today, this week, this month, this year. God says, that's exactly where I want you. In your weakness, I am made strong.